Hey guys, welcome back to Tell Me About It. Tell Me About It is the show that's basically the antithesis of a success story podcast. We instead commiserate and celebrate all of the many bloopers and rejections, heartbreaks and insecurities, anxieties, etc., 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 that are inevitable for all of us. I created the show because I basically wanted to know that other women dealt with shitty things, quite frankly. That is the thesis statement of this show. So Dylan is currently out of town, and whenever he's out of town, I realize just how much time we spend together because it's weird to be alone. And I always feel bad. I always feel like I really make my friends and family babysit me because it's weird to see the world outside of relationship world on the weekends. Usually my weekends, you know, I see my friends sometimes, but, you know, Sundays are football days or days I spend with Dylan largely. And now I'm like, so what are you guys doing this weekend? Or like, wow, this this is what you guys actually do. So thank you to my friends and family for babysitting me. But the real kick in the pants is that I'm on double walk duty. And I hate doing the morning walk I'm totally fine with. That is normally my walk. And Dylan takes care of the night walk. Oh, I'm obviously talking about taco. I'm like a single mother to taco right now. And I have to do both walks. And the night walks just freak me out. I don't like walking in the dark by myself. In West Hollywood, it's very dicey. And so he can hurry home on that front. So on this week's episode, we talk a lot about friendships. And I'm happy that we did because it seems like everybody wants to talk about friendships right now, which is understandable because I hang out with a lot of people in their 20s and 30s, and it's very natural in these decades of our life to go through a lot of friendship breakups or deal with toxic friendships or just natural friendship ebbs and flows. And it's weird that we all think that we're alone in going through that, and that couldn't be further from the truth. So... We have host of Nightly Pop on E, Nina Parker, on the show. Aside from her work as a co-host on E, Nina created the first black woman-owned brand to design a plus-size line exclusively for Macy's, the Nina Parker Collection. Nina has made numerous television appearances as a pop culture expert on popular shows such as The Wendy Williams Show, The Talk, and as a contributor and a fill-in host for Access Live on NBC. Basically, she's a pop culture expert and even helped with the growth of TMZ. All right, here is Nina Parker. Hi, Nina. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to talk to you. Thank you for having me. And you have probably been up since what, 4 a.m.? My alarm went off at 5 today. Oh, okay. (laughs) Is that like a late day for you? Usually by like 5 a.m. is is my wake up. Yeah. What time do you record E? Well, this week I'm filming two shows. So I was up at 5, there by 6, and then we record at 8. And then I record another show at 9.45. Wow. 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 Okay. So I know that you, did you bust your tooth yesterday? Were you at the (laughs) dentist? I was eating some candied almonds in bed. (laughs) a candied almond is different than a jordan almond right yeah well i don't know what's a jordan almond like one those like gross ones that are at like weddings or like i mean i don't think they've been at any wedding since like 1954 but they're candy coated not just yeah it looks like an easter egg almost yeah you know it looks like an m&m but it's it looks like it's gonna bust your tooth yeah Yeah. but it it looks it looks you should, it, it looks suspect. And I, I knew that eating it because it had been at the bottom of my purse for like two months and I had a sweet tooth in the middle of the night. And I was like, I'm going to just eat some candy almonds and crack my tooth. 
while doing oh, it. Oh my god, you fully cracked. I yeah. mean, is that is that a snack that you often eat? No, I just had when I was in New York and they were from like the hotel mini bar. And I was oh like, I think God. I have some of those in my purse from <laughs> November. Ah, uh, yes. I was wondering where you got those. They're always in a hotel minibar. That's where you find them. We've all been there. We have uh, that late night. You're like, where can I find a morsel of food? And so that's kind of, you know, I had two and was like, these are really hard. Yeah. And should have stopped. And I had one more for good measure and cracked my tooth. I sent like an emergency email and my dentist took me the next day at like one. Thank God. God. It's always that last one, isn't it? Just, of course. I mean, the dentist is so brutal. Are you fine today? I'm fine today. Yeah, I went yesterday. My dentist is amazing. He took me in. So yeah, he fixed everything. (laughs) Oh my God. Well, I'm I'm so embarrassed because I'm looking at my nails in this and like, I haven't gotten my nails done in like three months, but I was going to say that to commiserate with you. And I was like, Actually, you ha- your situation probably has to be situated all the time because you're on TV yeah, every day. Yeah, it's hard. I'm, I was just actually having a conversation today about, I guess there's this nail that's really popular called like Gel X that a lot of girls are doing. Um, so I may have to end up doing that but uh, because I haven't had my nails done since Omicron started surging. So Right, me neither. They look okay from far away, but close up, they're like growing out. My situation is insane, but I have like a horrible excuse because I've done it like so many years ago. But is that hard to always be on TV and have to look almost like perfect? Oh, well, I'm far from looking perfect. So (laughs) for me, my days are less about how I look and how like chaotic it is. Like if I have a chaotic day, I just don't feel good. I'm just like, I I don't feel good about how I look. Totally. Like, oh, this is chaos from start to finish. So I'm just like feeling crazy. And honestly, my look is probably like the last thing on my mind, but- then I'll go back and be like, oh, my shirt wasn't tucked. Da, 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 da. Right. That's like the secondary issue. Yeah. I definitely have those moments. And I also like, you know, I try to keep it like sporty sometimes if I can. So I'll wear some, you know, cute joggers and just put it with heels or something like that. So there's a lot of times where I, I have like a little cheat code. Yeah. So it's more so like if you just feel like you didn't do a hundred percent that day or something. Yeah. I've definitely had those days. I mean, I have a team, which is good because if it was just me, it would, it would definitely not be, it wouldn't be this together. (laughs) Yeah. No, I understand. Are you easier on yourself than you were in the past in that sense? Um, I have my good and bad days. Yeah. Like I think I I do. I, I think I have a tighter ship now. And so I'm just like, okay, look, here's the, like my stylist wanted to put me in a dress this week. And I was like, girl, this is not a dress week. Like we're not, I'm not putting the Spanx on. I'm not doing all that. Like, give me something where I can breathe. Like, so I definitely have like days where I'm just, there's more relaxed clothes. Yes. Where you're just like, I can't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do do a nice top knot and call it a day. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I I have many of those. All of my days are those days. But I want to get into your 20s because I want to find out who you were sort of before E and like what you had going on. Because we always talk about our 20s because they are just I'm 28. So I'm amidst all of the that yeah. 20s bullshit right now. Yes. And it's intense and you are trying to find yourself, but you're also comparing yourself constantly to other people. And it's just kind of this explosive time of both great and terrible things. Right. So I kind of wonder in your Throughout the decade of your 20s, what age do you cringe at, like looking back the most? I am not close to my 20s anymore. So I don't think I remember my age. 20s or 30s. It can be like, it's a blur of like, 
what happened at 25 versus 27. You know what I mean? So I don't really remember. I just know my 20s were a mess. <laughs> but a good place, I mean, honestly, my 20s were, my late 20s is when I discovered like my voice, where I wanted to be like, okay, I need to take things more seriously as far as my career goes. My relationships is a story. But for my 20s, I would say probably like 27 was the year I moved to LA. So that was probably out of my 20s, the most significant year aside from maybe graduating college. Yeah. You grew up in California though, Mm -hmm, Sacramento, right? Uh, Yep. And then I moved to the Bay Area. So like, where did you start your 20s? Can you paint me the picture? Like the beginning of your 20s, what were you doing Mm -hmm. as far as career? What were your relationships like? Who were you? So in my early 20s, I was in college. So I was in San Francisco, uh, going to San Francisco State, studying broadcasting, um, you know, fully invested in everything with school. I was Mm -hmm. an intern at a local NBC News affiliate. So that's what I was doing in my early 20s. Um, After I graduated college, I moved to New York and tried to like make it as a host in New York and failed miserably. And that's when I came back probably at like 23 or 24 came back to the Bay Area. What do you mean you failed miserably? I'm meaning that I had no idea what I was doing. I was arrogant, no experience. And really, you know, a lot of times in your 20s, you want the job without the work. You know, you want, you have, there's a sense of entitlement in your 20s that things are, because you did everything by the book, you're supposed to have it. And it just doesn't work that way. You know, there's a lot of things into play with like, yeah, you have a degree, but that doesn't guarantee you get the job. Or you have a desire to do it. Your desire to do it doesn't entitle you the job. Absolutely. I definitely had that misconception York that like, well, I I know that I would be good at it, so I should be doing it. And it just doesn't, it doesn't. (laughs) Unfortunately. So how did that manifest itself? Like, was it in the way that you carried yourself or was it just in how hard you worked? What was the difference there? The difference was I had to learn how to, my, I had to change my expectations that where I saw myself wasn't necessarily how things were going to start. I think, yeah, of course I wanted to be on camera, but that mm-hmm. doesn't, that you don't start there most of the time. If you're, especially on a national platform, like if you're, you know, maybe in a local news station in a smaller, you know, arena, you might be able to do that. But for the most part, the, if you see yourself on the billboards and then, you know, at the anchor desk, you don't, you don't always start there. And right. so there's a process to getting you there. And a lot of people want to eliminate the process, myself included. And mm-hmm. so when I moved to LA and I was a few years older and I had kind of been humbled by life, I just had a different desire. My desire was less about being seen and more about, you know, actually doing the work and taking a back seat and allowing other people where they to be where they need to be and to just allow myself to be a part of my journey and start at the bottom. And that's what I did. I started taking out trash, getting lunches. Um, you know, I started at the very bottom. <laughs> yeah. What do you attribute that change to? Because it, of course it has to be something that made you severely uncomfortable to make that change. So did you get fired or how'd that I end? Close to getting fired. I was working at a, a phone company. Like I had completely stopped working in, in television and was working at a phone company and I hated my job. So I was really bad. You know, I was in in a call center. I was bad at it. I was hiding in the bathroom at lunch. Like it was awful. 
And I think they were going to demote me or something. And I was just like, this is, how am I getting demoted from a place I don't even want to be at? Like, it was just so crazy. And I, it had nothing to do with what I wanted to do. And my mom was like, you know, you're not like, you don't have to do this. Like you, you go, you got, you went to school, you're not married. You're not here. You're not here with kids. Like go live your dream. So I literally took two weeks vacation and moved to LA and like, Wow. Found a place to live and packed all my stuff and literally was living in like a room with no door and was just like, okay, now I'm here. I'm in LA. What can I do differently than what I did in in New York? And it was just about, okay, I have to come out. I got to go. I got to get it. And it, and I don't care how I get it, but I'm going to, I just knew that I was going to have the work ethic that I regretted not having before I just thought to myself, if this is taken away from me, what could I have done to have made Mm. this the best experience possible and just applied that to everything I did? Yeah, I think a lot of people listening probably are in that same situation where like they're in their 20 somethings and they kind of feel like, I don't even like this job. Like, why am I even trying? Yeah. What were the signs? Like, obviously hindsight is 2020. What were, if you were like going to give someone advice as far as like, it's the age old question. Like, how do you know what the root of your unhappiness is? And how do you know if it's your profession or what you're doing for work? I mean, you can be in the right profession and just be in the wrong position. And, you know, I think you, I think ultimately, you know, when you're not happy, like, I think, you know, like when you, you're not, I mean, I, I am excited to go to work now. I enjoy what I do. I enjoy the people that I work with. And listen, that's not every day. You're still human. You still have days where you menstruating and you like, girl, I don't feel like getting out this bed, no matter how much y'all paying me. (laughs) Oh my God. Yes. No, that's going to go away. There's going to be days just don't feel like doing anything. And that's just the human experience for the most part, more days than less. I love what I do. Right. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah, for sure. When I was at, you know, working at the call center, I was miserable all day long. I was from getting up to getting ready to crying on my way to work to being on my break and being like, I, you know, I, I hate this place. I just, it made me miserable. And I was, and everything about my life was miserable while I was there because I just wasn't just my happiness as you fake it for a little bit, you mask it, right. with going out, drinking, going on bad dates. Like, you know, you kind of fill your life. And I think that's a huge sign when you find yourself filling your life with things to avoid the, what you really want to do. That's when, you know, you might be in the wrong place. Like, let me, fill all these other things up with this space to, to distract me from the fact that I'm really unhappy with my job. That's a problem. Absolutely. Like how much are you numbing yourself right. to? Yeah. And how do, can you create a life that's not, that you don't have to numb yourself? And I did from? that with food, you know, like I didn't do drugs, but I would, I, I would eat, you know, I would eat to distract myself. Let's go out to eat. Let's go to happy hour. Oh, I had a bad day. I got to treat myself. I had a good day. I'm going to treat myself. You know, it was like, I, Abso- I oh my God. I addiction from being miserable because it was a way of coping. Absolutely. And that's like, it it can manifest itself, like you said, in so many different ways. But once you realize like, okay, there's a root source here of this unhappiness and it's happening more often than not. And like, I'm doing all these things to try to numb it and it's not helping. And probably even like your best days there are not even great, you know, comparatively, of course, now. And I would say like, I'm going to go to LA. I'm in people, you know, after year two, we're like, yeah, girl. Okay. Like, you right. know, nobody believed me because it was just like, be about it then. Um, and so, yeah, it took, it actually took somebody working at the call center 
who was leaving, going to the university I went to, to major in broadcasting. It was like, and I was like, they're about to go do what I've already done. And I just was like, I got to get it together. (laughs) Sometimes that is what it takes to see someone else. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes you got to use it to motivate you. Don't hate, just use it as like, okay, this is, this is the universe kind of checking me. It's true. No, it's true. You got to use it. Exactly. So I wonder, I like what you said about like people saying like, okay, you have to be about it. And kind of people after year two are like, okay, enjoy yourself in LA. I know I've lived in LA my entire life. So, but I've heard many, many, many times how hard it is uh, the city to move to. It's really hard to like acclimate, to make friends, all of that stuff. And meanwhile, you're kind of having to be your only cheerleader because like, I mean, I'm sure you have friends and family and stuff that cheered you along, but at the end of the day, you are the person that has to keep picking yourself up and like knowing that you believe in a vision and a dream that other people don't believe in. So mm-hmm. I guess let's start with acclimating to LA. What was that like? It was, I mean, well, my parents are both from LA. Okay. So I was raised in Sacramento, but both my parents are from here. And because of that, my dad is a one of six. And so I had a ton of cousins and um, aunts and uncles that are, were already in LA from, you know, from my parents and family. So I was familiar with LA. I would come every summer. So it wasn't, I had family to rely on. I didn't really have a lot of friends here. I only had maybe two friends from college, but I had a ton of family. So for me, like I would go to my aunt's house every Sunday and she would cook and I would be able to kind of get that home loving that I needed to kind of keep me going for the rest of the week. She would kind of refuel me. I think if I didn't have that, it would have been even harder because socially it was very difficult. Um, The people that I knew here they, they just weren't really around. And so I remember being like my first Cinco de Mayo I had in LA and it was a big deal for me in the Bay Area and I didn't know anyone and my neighbors were barbecuing and drinking beers and I just was alone. And I was like, this is kind of miserable. Um, but it was a blessing in disguise. My social life was zero. It was really hard to meet people in LA and I can't lie. It takes a while to find your tribe in LA. So I say you got to give it like two years, to be honest, when you're when you're here, because it's very segregated in the sense of not necessarily by race, but it's like people have their groups and they kind of stay into them. And it's not it's to me way less friendly than New York. Like when I go to New York, I meet strangers out and I literally will get invited to a, a gathering or a party or people meet people. We exchange numbers. In LA, people are like, who who are you? Like, it's way less friendly to me than New York. And so it's way harder to meet people when you're out and about, maybe socially on social media. But when I moved to LA, social media wasn't big like that. I moved in 2007. Wow. Wow. Yeah, no, it's so true. Because also, like, if you and your best friend live in New York, you see each other every day or you're hanging out or you run into each other. In LA, my best friends live here. And I sometimes I don't see that. I see them Mm -hmm. once every Two months, three yeah. months, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's because everywhere takes half an hour. So it's such yeah. a pain. And as people are getting it, you know, people are really out here hustling and working. And so, yeah. you know, it really is kind of like SNL skit when you're like, okay, let's get right. together, figure out what freeway we're going to take. Okay, right. girl, you got the third Monday off and we'll meet then for brunch. And so it does get like that. But I, I think for me in my late 20s, it was very helpful because it had, I had a lot of friends or had friends who wanted to take me out and weren't ignoring my calls. Uh, it would have distracted me. 
it allowed me to really focus on work. So I was like, hey, I'm available in the evenings. I'm available on weekends to work double shifts. Like, hey, I know I just finished my shift. You guys need me to stay longer because I didn't have a party to go to or, you know, and I do feel like, especially in your 20s, you are, your social life is really important to you. And it's an illusion, you know, because you have so much time to go out and party and you have so much time to do that. But sometimes you don't have that time at the place that you're at. Sometimes there's a window and that window will close. And I've seen people miss out on opportunities because they went out the night before and needed to sleep in, or they were too exhausted to do something or they let it. The only thing I can guarantee people is that I will always outwork you. Like I'm, you're not going to work harder than me in a situation. I'm always going to be the one to show up. I'm always going to be the one that's following through. I'm going to pop up. I'm going to be there you're going to have to work as hard as me to get it because I'm not, I'm not letting anything distract me. And it's kept me very focused. I love that. I love that way of looking at it because I think a lot of people in your twenties or however old you are really like, you don't realize a lot of your friends move away. Mm -hmm. They get boyfriends, families, whatever. And it feels so lonely. And like you said, your twenties, your social life is so important to you. Yeah. But it's interesting to look at it from the vantage point of it actually frees your time, your mm-hmm. mind, you know, to to hustle. And you're yeah. right. Like hustling in your 20s is something you can't really get back. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. And I and not to put a time frame on it because, you know, you can hustle I, your, yes. myself up at 27 because I was like, I should be oh. here already. And I not realizing how young 27 was, you know, at the time I thought it was old. I was like, oh my God, I'm almost 30. I don't, have, don't, say. don't have that. And it's like, no, it's never too late, but sometimes it can be too late in a certain place. So just make sure to utilize that opportunity if you're, if it's right in front of you. Yes. I love that. I love that. So did it take around two years for you to make solid friends, like real friends, not just lunch friends? Yeah. I mean, I had, like I said, I had a couple of girlfriends from college, but they weren't in the entertainment industry. And so it was hard because they had like regular nine to fives, but I would work like crazy hours. And so a lot of times when you're in entertainment in LA, you, a lot of your friends are also in entertainment and, and there's an understanding about schedules and like, I might have to go on location or there's a, it's a cool, like just kind of recognizable lifestyle that someone may not quite understand if they clock in and clock out. And so I had two friends who weren't in the industry who I just never, were just never really available who lived across. I was in the Valley. They were like in Inglewood. We just didn't work close. And so I would say it probably took about two years to get like friends that I really enjoyed being around that I could go out with that I could trust. So I would say it took about two years to get a group, a good group of core group of friends. Yeah. I like that you said to trust because like that is a different type of friend. Cause yeah. in LA, it's very easy to make lunch friends. You know, yes. those friends that you never leave the lunch table. Yes. I don't do that. I don't do the friendships halfway. Like I, everything about me is 100. Like I do have a girlfriend who said like, well, you don't just have people that you go to dinner with or you just go to brunch with. And I'm like, no, girl, like I don't have the friendships that I have to hide information from. Yeah, like, yeah. All in or all out. What? <laughs> so like that brings me to my next question, which is about friendships. How have your friendships evolved? And like, are most of your friends women? And what kind of friends do you have? Have they been in your life your whole life or are they new friends? It's kind of all over the place. I mean, I probably have... For, for context, I'm 42 years old. So I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not in my, I'm far removed from my twenties. Um, and so I have to say like, when you get into your forties, friendships are very different. And I think they're very important to you in your twenties. Um, sometimes I feel like 
your relationships in your 20s, you can definitely have great relationships, but sometimes they're just like, a, a you know, friendships and relationships are for different reasons and they're mm-hmm. to serve you in different ways. I think when you get in your 40s, you're very self-assured and you're, you don't need much for validation anymore. And so certain friendships kind of fall to the wayside. So for me, I have, you know, I have a diff- I have friends that I met when I first moved to LA. I have like maybe three girls that I've known since I've been here three or four girls. And then, you know, I have a couple of friends from work that I like and enjoy and we're really close. And then I have, you know, some, a couple of girlfriends from back home that I still keep in contact with, but don't see as much. So it's just kind of all over the spectrum. Most of my friends are women. I have maybe two, two guy friends that I would trust and like really consider them like real friends. Family. Yeah. Most of them, I'm a girl's girl. So I'm, yeah. you know, I enjoy having, you know, a a good friendship with girls that I can, you know, really bond with and vent to and talk Mm -hmm. to understand me. So, you know, it's like, I have like maybe three groups of core friendships that I kind of circulate in, in LA. Right. So when you moved to LA, was it a whole new cycle of like, I mean, you had to like make friends. Did you lose a lot of the friends you had from back home? Like, have you ever dealt with a friendship breakup? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think you have to be a certain type of person not to like there are, you know, like, I think we all transition in and out Uh of friendships. And I think there are some people who I just kind of made the decision at the, in my thirties, cause not, I didn't do this in my twenties. I kind of made the decision that I was no longer going to be uncomfortable to make other people happy. I wasn't going to sit in discomfort so that I could please other people because what I found was I was always saying, yeah, I'll do this. Yes, I'll do this. Go, I can make this. Or I would work a 12 hour day. And then my friend would want me to do something and they'd be disappointed if I couldn't do it and give me a hard time. And I really, when I started to become more successful, had to break off some friendships because there were people who wanted to be associated with me because of what I did and were, were not understanding when I was tired or like working a 12 hour day for five days a week is really exhausting and being on. And then, you know, if on that Saturday, I didn't want to do anything, it would be like, you never want to come around. And it's like, girl, I've been working all week and right. you, you don't understand that. And right. you know, what's the motive here? Like, if, do you really care about me? If all you're worried about is being seen with me. So I had to start to like decipher what these friendships were about or what I was getting from them. Uh, or if it was just like all me trying or, you know, I had to kind of decipher that. And I really came to the conclusion that just because a friendship doesn't work out doesn't mean either person is a bad person. It That's just, the truth. You know, we weren't conducive to each other's environment. Definitely. I love that you talk about kind of getting uncomfortable with dis- not disappointing people, but getting uncomfortable with people not necessarily being thrilled with everything you do. What did it take for you to be able to build that muscle? Because for me, I'm like, okay, I think I just have to get comfortable sitting in the discomfort, whether it yeah. lasts five seconds or five hours, you know, with the person. Mm-hmm. I, I I need to get comfortable with a sad look on someone's face and know that yeah. <laughs> I need to still choose myself, you know? I mean, for me, it, I, I hate to say this, but it felt really good to say no. Like telling, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, so if I worked all week and someone wanted me to go out on Friday night and I said, look, I'm exhausted. I need to take care of me. I know we have these plans, but I unfortunately have to cancel. And then staying home, that feeling is like the best feeling in the world. Oh my God. <laughs> if you could bottle and sell that feeling, yes, we would, would be very- Like that feeling of like not putting on your makeup, just staying on the couch, 
putting that extra butter on that popcorn. It's just a oh, good, the you know. best finding which show to watch. Oh, it's yes. like there's nothing better. Trust me, you are really speaking my language. And I was like, how can I feel like this? Obviously, not selfishly. Like, if you if I'm if I say I'm gonna show up and that somebody needs me, I really do try to do that. But if it's something where I feel like, hey, I've given you enough notice, or there's things where I can cancel, or you know, I just had to really start putting my self-care first because I was suffering from it mentally. And honestly, I reached the point of exhaustion. Like I was doing so much to please my family and my friends and my job. I didn't have anything left for myself. And it got to a place where I was, I was happy at work and I was more unhappy outside of work because I just felt like I had nothing left for me out after giving to everybody else. So it hit a bad point, to be honest, where I just kind of like stopped going. I became like a hermit. And then I said, okay, I can't just stay in the house. Like I have to, I was quarantined away before we we were told we had to. (laughs) Me too. I have been doing this for years. (laughs) Yes. I'm a professional. Yeah. I was like, oh, I'm used to this. I got the snacks and everything ready, y'all. Yes, me too. Uh, But I had to get to a place where I was like, I just got to start telling people straight up. And then I felt very empowered the first time. Of course, it was very uncomfortable. And then I was like, you know, if there, if somebody is like really determined to argue with me or not see me and not see what I need, then I don't know if I quite need this person in my life. And so it really opened my eyes to a lot of relationships when I would say, hey, I'm dealing with, you know, anxiety and I'm dealing with stress. And the, the answer would be like, well, I just really wanted you to come to this thing. It's oh. like, oh, okay, this person doesn't give a damn about no. me. <laughs> yes. But so sometimes it takes years to, to realize that. Yeah. And, but I have to tell you, grabbing your balls and just going, you know, and like really just sticking up for yourself, it's nothing like it. Yeah. It's so true. And it becomes addicting. It becomes mm-hmm. like its own version of feel. Because the truth is when you abandon yourself for the sake of someone else, that doesn't feel good. No. You know, the tr- I'm, I'm like telling it to myself because I convince myself that it does feel good. It feels like a like a lottery win or something, right. you know, but it's really just you lose. You're like, wait, what? I thought we we're on the same team right. here. And they're going to be, listen, you're going to have times where you are going to have to do things you don't want to do like with work or if you decide to have a child and you have to you have to provide for somebody if there's a relationship that is a friendship i i have this saying that with my friends i'm like girl i'm not sleeping with you like i don't we we, we me and you ain't sleeping together right like, I don't owe, what do i owe and even then i wouldn't owe anybody anything but i definitely don't and you are not my man like i do not have to answer to what i'm doing why i'm doing something like girl you know had to do that a few times like no totally some people have friendships where it is like that and some people are only used to friendships where like they give each other permission for their every move like I am not that way like if you start expecting things of me like I mean obviously I'm going to try to be the best friend to you as I humanly can but I'm the same way as you I feel the same way about that (laughs) okay so at 27 you moved to LA then did you start at TMZ almost immediately Yeah, I moved. Things happen really fast for me. And I've always been an advocate of manifestation because Mm. I really believe I manifested the life that I wanted. Um, And I've just really read and focused and meditated and prayed. And I really was like, I'm changing my life. And um, what I will say is that I also 
put intention behind my manifestation. So I didn't just manifest and want it to shine on me. Like I did the work too. You know, I was going on job interviews and pounding the pavement, but like, I, I just really envisioned what life I wanted to have when I moved to LA. And then I was like, now, how do I make this happen? So that's really as small as it started. So I moved to LA in February of 2007. I was working at TMZ by June. Um, and where I want to say I was working there probably by April promoted by June. And then I was on the TV show by September. Wow. It all happened in one year. So having not a lot of friends in LA at the beginning really (laughs) paid off. I mean, honestly, it it happened fast. It happened. Sometimes I'm like, I can't believe it happened that quickly, but I literally was working at Verizon in January and I was on a television show by the fall. How soon did you start to see the repercussions of that or the positive impacts of that on your self-esteem and psyche? I mean, it was, it's kind of a double-edged sword because it's like you work hard for this goal and then you just think everybody's going to be like, yay. Right. There's going to be. It's not like that. Totally. (laughs) You get on the show and then you have people leaving comments like, you're ugly. We hate you. We hate Mm. what you said about, you know, Madonna. We, we know that like people, especially when you're a black woman and you're an opinionated black woman, you know, there's a lot of people who just don't like you because you have an opinion and they want you to quiet and they think that saying these things will make you shut up so they do it and that happens now you know it's it's back then we didn't call it trolling but it was just like oh man I just had an opinion about something and people are mad like you don't have to agree with me so that was it it was great to like start getting recognized and and have like you know be on tv every day and have people being like oh my gosh but then on the flip side it was like a lot of online criticism and you know then I'm also like very body conscious and looking at myself and like, oh my gosh, like rewatching shows and be like, oh, I didn't like this look. And then having to be like, okay, girl, like calm down. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So the body image stuff, how did that play out throughout your late twenties and then into your thirties? When did you feel like you got a hold of that or did it hit a rock bottom point? I mean, I think body image is something you you probably deal with forever for exactly. Yeah. I I think because your body is always changing, right? Like what I look like in my twenties and thirties is was completely different, you know? Mm -hmm. So it was like, and I fluctuated and was all over the place. So it's just like your body image changes and adjusts what you have to kind of keep solid is the mental. Um, And so I would say just recently, probably within the last few years, I just got into a place where, I just didn't really care what people thought. You know, I just kind of, after you hear things a few times, you get kind of Teflon to to what people think. And I also just got to a really good place of self-love. Like I just started loving on myself the way I wanted other people to love on me, which really took a lot of work because I think that voice in our head that's so critical can be really loud. And I was just like, what will happen if I just let this voice say positive things? You know, what would happen if I just like, you know, just started saying these nice things to myself every day, even if I'm faking it, even if I don't mean it. And so I just started doing that and just really started to work on my relationship with myself. And that, you know, because I was having issues in relationships and things like that. And I realized I was seeking validation outwardly, not necessarily from the public, but just from other people. And I really wanted to change why I was doing that. And then also kind of do that shadow work as to figuring out why and you know, who could give it to me? And I was like, oh, I have to do it myself. And then once I started doing that, I started attracting people that talked to me the way I talked to myself in a positive way. Mm. And when I was nasty to myself, I attracted that too. 
Mm, wow, that's powerful. Okay, that's a perfect place for us to take a break. We'll be right back. So when you first started, I know that you were, you've been like the first in so many situations, even (laughs) down to your, like even down to your Macy's line, like you're the first plus size black woman, right? Yeah, I'm the first plus size black woman to have an exclusive Macy's line. They've carried other stuff there, but the first exclusive line for, for their brand. As someone who doesn't necessarily know what that feels like to be the first somewhere, I know that there's a side of it that's purely celebratory. That's like, this is incredible. It's a great honor to be. But I would imagine there's some growing pains along the way, even down to like the wardrobe choice they have for you at these shows. Did you find that along your way? Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's why I created my clothing line is because it was just, you know, a situation born out of lack. Most of my co-hosts or colleagues are very small women you know, they're, they tell you that you get kind of groomed to be on TV, you need to be small. And so all of the thicker girls, a lot of them don't try, you know, I've had women say, oh, I didn't even try to audition for this or go for this because I, all I see is thin women. And I was just like, I'm going for what I know, because I just, I always just felt like I'm just, my voice is going to speak way over what, whatever my outward appearance is. And also like my outward appearance is normal. Like this is what everybody in my neighborhood looks like. So I don't care what they're showing on TV. This is the real, real. Do you think that's where that comes from? Because some people walk into that situation, not feeling that way. Where does your innate, it feels like ability to rise above that and see yourself in a different way? Like, where does that come from? I honestly don't know. I I just feel like from very young, my parents have, will be married 45 years next year. And, you know, I, I did have the, the luxury of having both parents in the household, which I know a lot of people don't. And I just felt like my dad always instilled in me, like, you're strong, you're a warrior. Like, it doesn't matter what these people say. And, I, and, and honestly, being a Black person in America you really get a thick skin with in every situation. You know, you have to not let a lot of things bother you or you won't you won't be able to walk out the house every day. So you kind of get conditioned at a very young age, especially being a young black girl like, okay, like I'm I'm a, I can't let this get to me. I can't. You know, I was dealing with racism in first grade, you know? And so I had to really you really have this innate ability to like put things on a shelf, compartmentalize and you learn how to push through to survive that's how you learn. And then you start to apply it to other areas of your life. And as you grow, you learn, you read, you become educated. And, you know, I, I just was like, I I just never, and this was just natural. I just never was like, I'm not letting anything get in my way. I'm just not like, I am not going to allow people to intimidate me. I just made the decision at a very, very early age. And I don't know how I did that, (laughs) but I just made the decision that I was, if there was going to be a reason I fell, it was going to be because of my own volition, but not of anyone else's. Mm, I love that. I love that because we are our own worst enemy at the end of the day. Honest to God, if you probably asked a million people on their deathbed, like what was the thing that stood in your way? It is yourself at the end of the day. And I had, you know, I remember applying to San Francisco State for broadcasting and a girl I went to high school with, because I went to a JC first, I couldn't afford a four-year university. And a girl was already there and she had dropped out of the broadcasting department. She's like, girl, it's so competitive. Like, it's too hard. And I think like if I had been in another mental state, I would have been like, ooh, like it's so, it's so hard. And I was just, and always, that's always attracted me. I'm like, oh, it's hard. Oh, okay, cool. Like it's competition. Got it. I'm, I'm there. Like it just always was something I ran towards. I just always feel like, like that's where the, that's where the growth is. Like 
who wants to walk around and do everything that's, you know, easy or handed to them or nobody else wants to, I'm like, I don't want anything that's for everybody. Right. Right. (laughs) Absolutely. Are there days where it does get difficult having to instruct people on how to treat you differently? Like when it comes to your co-host being these very small women? Well, I don't, I don't take on that job a lot of times, you know, I think existing in a space sometimes is enough. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I sometimes think you just being there. If we've ever seen like the first woman in a place, uh, you know, where there's only men, her existence, she doesn't have to say, well, you know, I'm the first woman. Like we, we know girl, we see you like her existence, her way that she got there is already iconic. So a lot of times I just feel like just being in that space and letting other women who want it, like I've had so many women and girls DM me who said, I never thought I could do on camera work, or I never thought like, you know, a curvy girl could do these things and being like, oh, okay. Like sometimes you, people just need to see you. And then there are times where I go hard and I say, you know, and I think we need to do that in 2022 is like beat on our chest a little bit because men do it all the time. Like they, they speak their accolades before they walk in the door, you know? And I feel like as women, we want, we are innately taught to be humble. And, uh, you know, I'm like, forget that for 2022. Like I'm, I'm on this bullhorn. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a waste of time to like shrink yourself. It's true. Yeah. It, and I think you, unfortunately, a lot of the time learn that later in life, you know, like you learn that not in your twenties because it's like, you think everyone yeah. is looking at you and judging you and all of that. But I want to yeah. kind of swing back into body image and just, and more so in how it is manifested in health. So I know you were diagnosed with asthma recently. A couple of years ago, yeah. A couple of years ago, yeah. So what was that journey like? And did that affect how you felt about yourself, your body, your health, et cetera? I think, you know, when I got diagnosed, I just didn't know what it meant because I was, mm. at, you know, it was an adult onset. So I just was kind of like, oh my gosh, like I, you know, LA is the place to hike. And so I was like, oh my gosh, I can't go to Rangan anymore. I can't go to Fryman. Like, I'm not going to be able to hike with asthma or I'm not going to be able to work out with this trainer. Or I'm not going to be, and it did make me feel like, oh, like I'm trying to get my health together. And now I have another thing that's limiting me, you know, and then I got educated. And I think like everything, we have to utilize the resources that are available to us. Talk to your doctor, you know? And so um, I was just like, how can I just better assess like what's going on and what I need to do? And then I was like, okay. And then my trainer was like, you know, I got asthma. And I was like, you do? And so I was able to figure out like a lot of these limitations we really do put on ourselves. And obviously you do need to consult your doctor. And I was just like, I can't let this hold me back. But I was prisoner for a, a few months where I was just like really down and just like, oh gosh, this is another challenge. And I was just self-diagnosing, you know, just like, well, I guess I can't do this anymore. <laughs> yes, you know? no, absolutely. Whether it's like a mental health issue or like diagnoses are a double-edged sword. On one hand there, it's relieving because you're like, okay, I know at least it's not me, it's not my body whatever it's something else is going on but it also makes you extremely like you kind of like grieve your life before knowing about it you know what I mean you you feel like you have all these limitations all of a sudden and that can be really difficult yeah and you know listen I I I, there's other diagnoses that I could have gotten that could have been way more detrimental and so you know a lot of times a lot of times you're just happy to know what's going on with you like why was I short of breath why was it this oh I wasn't just out of shape like I actually have a condition um and you know so sometimes that in itself empowers you just because you know when you don't know what's going on it's scary Absolutely. Absolutely. Was there ever a time in your life that you struggled with mental illness? No, I I haven't ever really had that other than, you know, listen, I think we've all had 
highs and lows, mm-hmm. you know? So we, I, I will say I have struggled with anxiety. Yes. You know, I will say that like, a lot of, I work a lot. So like, you know, I have my clothing line. I have several TV shows that I do. Um, you know, I'm doing podcast interviews and TV interviews and fittings for my clothing line. So it gets to be, my schedule gets to be really crazy. And so sometimes when I'm looking at my calendar, I start to like hyperventilate a little, like this is a lot, you know? Yes. And so I, now I try to keep, you know, it's nothing that I've ever had to go to the doctor about, but it's definitely something where I'm like, how do I deal with this stress? Because sometimes the anticipation of it is worse than when it actually, you know, when, once you do the day, you're like, okay, my day is done. It wasn't that bad. But the anticipation of those calendar invites and the Zooms, you're like, oh girl, I'm not going to make it. It's so true. It's like, I know. It's, Especially for those of us who love to be home. It's like, oh my God. Yeah. It's, and so my schedule gets in, like, I just literally, my assistant emailed me about March and my March calendar is already full. And I'm like, this is crazy. Um, yeah. And I start to do this thing where I, I pick one thing a day that I look forward to, mm. whether it's like doing my nails, a bubble bath, plucking the hairs on my chin, making a Sunday. Like there's one thing I, I'm like, okay, when I get up in the morning, this is what I'm looking forward to when I'm done with my day. And that really helps get me through my anxiety. Like, okay, this is annoying. Like right now I'm binging yellow jackets. So am I, I just, and I'm like, are you? Yes. I just started. Okay. It's so good. So good. (laughs) And so I'm like, okay, I can't wait to sit on my couch and binge this show. And I keep thinking about that when I'm, you know, at five in the morning, when I'm getting up, taking a shower and it does, it calms me. And that might not be for everybody, but I think if you can kind of figure out what works for you to make it through those rough moments. And then also, you know, I, I do therapy on a regular as well to kind of just, I don't want to emotionally dump on my friends every day. Right. (laughs) Women, we're not that complicated. Like sometimes, you know, we like the small things. So it's it's like, I don't need a lot. I just, you know, I want a little LaCroix and some popcorn and that's it. So it's true. true. (laughs) Don't take much. No, it's so true. Let's take a quick break and we will be right back. So is the world of daytime talk show hosts or female daytime talk show hosts, is that pretty competitive? I think anything on TV is competitive. Mm -hmm. I I don't, you know, I don't think it's just, I think if you are on TV, it's it's absolutely competitive for sure. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so when you're on Instagram, are you more inclined to compare yourself professionally, physically, or personally to like the women you're looking at? Um, I don't compare myself. I, you know, and uh, again, this is learned behavior in my, in my 20s, I absolutely did that. And it made me miserable. I just kind of felt, I just always kind of felt like my lane was different. And I also felt like I, I'm working on what I love and enjoy to me. The person next to me is going to love and enjoy completely different things. So why am I worried about her race? Like I'm going to run my race and I'm not going to worry about if she gets to the finish line first because her finish line might not be her ultimate goal, you know? And also, you know, just I've learned like my experiences from going to school, being rejected in New York, working a job that I was at for four years, being miserable, getting this job and excelling in TV in one year. 
I wouldn't have done that had I not had all of these trials and tribulations and this map that I had to, this puzzle I had to go through and shift through to be able to be the, have the work ethic that I needed. If had I had gotten this job right out of college, I'm not sure I would still be here. So I'm really a big believer of divine timing and like what is for you is for you. So I can't ever worry about somebody else's story because it just has nothing to do with mine. So I just have never really, of course you see somebody like, I wish I had those abs or, you know, whatever, but and in general, I really try not to worry. I'm such a lover of other women and, and champion, like, and just so excited to see people win. I've learned, even when those moments where I feel like, damn, why not me? To, to shift that and think like, instead of like, damn, I'm mad that she got this job and I was more deserving. I have more education and more history. I'm just like, okay, well, maybe this is my motivation to develop my own thing. Or maybe this is my motivation. So I've tried in my career to take the things that I don't like or things that I feel like weren't given to me and try to make it mine and use it for motivation to go get mine instead of trying to take it away from somebody else. This is That's so fascinating because I think that having to deal with racism and being othered probably makes you understand from a very young age that you don't have to run the same race as someone else. You can be different and yeah. still... and create your own world, you know? Yeah. I find that really fascinating because I think it, everyone's so focused on being the same as everyone else. And if you mm-hmm. know from a young age that you just inherently aren't like everyone else, right. then you can more easily- it Separate you. Yeah. You know, if I had the same experiences, like, listen, if I was like my- counterparts, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have my clothing line. Right. And my clothing line sells out every day. Amen. So it's just, it's yes, the it top does. selling plus size line at Macy's and it's doing very well. It hasn't even been a year yet. Had I had not had every, every problem that I feel like was a problem or issue, or I've, I found a way to make it work for me and get a coin from it. <laughs> I've, I made a vow to myself that anything that pissed me off, I was going to make money from it. And so I was like, oh, okay, like you guys don't want to make clothes for me? Got you. I'm about to make my own and then watch me collect this coin. So it was just like, I was like, I'm not about to just complain. I'm about to like, okay, I don't like how I'm being treated over here. Okay, I'm going to do a show about, you know, bad behavior, like whatever it was, I just decided I was going to make it work for me as opposed to being mad about it. I love that. That's a perfect place to stop because whatever <laughs> pisses you off, try to make money from it. Like yeah, that. Get that coin, girl. That is. And then you laugh into the bank. <laughs> yes, I love that. Okay, what is next for Nina Parker? Where can everyone find you? What have you got? You can find her every day on your TV, but where yeah. else can everyone find you? So you guys can see me on Nightly Pop every night on E. Um, I'm also, you know, you can see me with my clothing line, Nina, the Nina Parker collection that is at Macy's or any Macy's online. So you need to go in the store or just go to Macy's and type in Nina Parker collection. It'll pop up for you. Um, all of my socials are MZ gossip girl. So Ms. Gossip girl, um, and, or you can just search Nina Parker. I'll pop up there too. Um, those are all the same. I just joined TikTok recently, Ooh. which is, which is really horrifying. I yeah. Know, it's I, terrifying. I, yeah. And that's Nina Parker official there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I'll see you there. Thank you so much. This yes. was so fun. Thank you. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Okay. That's it for me this week. I'll see you guys back here. Same time, same place next Tuesday or whenever you listen to this episode. 
As always, it would mean the world to me if you followed the podcast. That would actually make it easier if you want to listen to the episodes every week. They will download automatically onto your phone conveniently if you do that. And it really helps us grow. So that would be incredible. Let me know if you do that so I can thank you. You can find me always at Jade Iving on Instagram. I swear to God, I think I logged like 10 hours on my phone the other day. It was so sick. Like my weekly screen time. It was disgraceful. Anyway, you can always find me there and we can continue the conversation there. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it more than you know, and I'll see you back here next week. Bye. Bye.